1 Corinthians chapter 2. We have been in a study. We started recently on the book of 1 Corinthians. And so we will continue that today. We're going to read the entire chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you're welcome to use the Pew Bible in front of you. It is the same version, the New King James, that I'm going to be reading from. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to look at your word once again. And I pray right now, Father, for the filling of your spirit. I pray for forgiveness and cleansing of anything that would hold back uh, your, your free flow. You're, you're using me today. And I pray, Father, for clarity of thought, uh, for clarity of speech, and for accuracy, Father, as I attempt to uh, share what you've laid on my heart today. Pray for each person in this room. Lord, there are different audiences that might... Uh, be spoken to here today, different responses that might be seen. And so I pray today, Father, that you'll apply the word. The Holy Spirit will apply the word as only you can. Speak to us, Father. Teach us today. In these few moments, I pray there'd be no distractions. I pray there'd be no, uh, no influences that would take our minds away from what you have us for us today. Speak, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the year he was going to be elected president... Jimmy Carter was one of three different speakers who were invited to speak at the Southern Baptist Convention. 17,000 delegates were there, and he was one of three speakers. Each one of them had a five-minute presentation that they were supposed to make. The first of the three presenters was Billy Graham, eloquent, excellent speaker, Billy Graham. And the speaker that was following Billy Graham was a truck driver. The man was not well educated, and he was seated right next to, Bill, to uh, Jimmy Carter, who was going to be the next president, and the truck driver was just a nervous wreck. And he shared, he leaned over and he talked to Jimmy Carter, and he shared with him, he said, you know, I don't think I'm going to live through this. He said, I just don't think I can do it. 
Well, Billy Graham gave his powerful talk. Only Billy Graham could give a powerful talk in five minutes, but he did. And then the truck driver rose to speak, and he just stood there. He just stood silently before the audience. And then he finally grabbed a glass of water, and he took a glass of water. And he finally, after most of his five minutes were gone, he managed to get this out. He said, I was always a drunk, and I didn't have any friends. The only people I knew were men like me who hung around the bars in the town where I lived. And then he went on to describe how someone had told him about Jesus Christ, how he had come to become a Christian. And once he had become a Christian, he just wanted to tell others about the Lord. He'd gone to a Bible study or two, and he'd talked to some other Christian men who had told him a little bit about how to share his faith. He didn't know any place else to go but the bars, and so he had gone back to the bar rooms to share with those that he used to drink with there and to try to talk with them. The bartender was not happy. He said, you're bad for business. Tried to kick him out. But not to be discouraged, he kept talking. People at the bar began to ask questions. He said, at first they treated me like a joke, but I kept up with the questions. And when I couldn't answer one, I went and got the answer and came back with it, and soon 14 of my friends became Christians. Jimmy Carter wrote... In a, in a book about this later on, he says, you know, that truck driver's speech, of course, was the highlight of the convention. He said, I don't believe anyone who was there will ever forget that five-minute fumbling statement or remember what I or Billy Graham even said. You know, the fact is, Paul in Corinthians here, in 1 Corinthians, has been talking about the fact that these people in Corinth had their favorite preachers, their favorite... Uh, he was reminding them that they needed to knock off the sectarian nonsense and the divisiveness and all that and quit chasing after their favorites. But we get into chapter 2 here, and I think he kind of is saying something different. I think what he's saying here right now is that each of those different preachers might perhaps have brought something different to the table. I think he might be saying here that Paul's simple gospel which I think is what Paul was presenting to them, or Peter's historic Judaism, which some of them preferred, or Apollos' masterful manipulation of the deep truths of the, of the Word of God. Yeah, I think he's saying all of those things worked together, and each of those things accomplished something good. Even a fumbling truck driver can present the gospel and can be used. Now, Paul's saying a lot of things in chapter 2 here. If you followed along as I read... You know, I've struggled over this this week. This is a deep chapter. We're in deep waters here in chapter 2. But there is one thing that jumps out at me as I think about those thoughts. And that is this. I think one of the things Paul is saying here, and maybe the primary thing he's saying here in chapter 2, is that there's something for everybody in our message. Something for everybody in the gospel. And specifically this morning, I want to divide it up into two things. I want you to notice here in this chapter, he says, there is something here for the lost soul. And he says, there's something here for the maturing believer. Notice those two things. First of all, verses 1 through 5, there's something here for the lost soul. I think the key phrase in understanding these first five verses and what he's trying to say here is in verse number 1. I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. I think the key phrase here is when I came to you. Paul is here talking about when he first arrived in Corinth. He's here talking about the fact that uh, when he first came there, and it was a brand new mission field. 
This was a group of people who had not, for the most part, heard the gospel. They didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. Brand new group. And he's first taking the gospel to them. In other words, when I came to you, when you were not saved, when you were lost, when I first stepped foot into Corinth. Now we've already learned from chapter 1 that there was a lot of people who were critical of Paul. And they preferred the eloquence of Apollos. And here in chapter 2, he certainly admits right off the bat that he didn't come with eloquence. He said, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. He's basically just agreeing with them. Yep, you're absolutely right. Apollos, much more eloquent than I. And when I stepped into town, I did not have that particular gift. If we skip down a couple verses, we see that he gets even more uh, self-denigrating of himself. Not only did he say he came into Corinth with admittedly imperfect speaking skills, but he apparently had a few other problems when he came into Corinth. Look at verse number three. He said, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. He describes himself here as weak, as fearful, as trembling, as lacking in persuasive skill. Now, we've talked before about the fact that the Apostle Paul was apparently not much of a physical specimen. I'll leave you to Google that on your own. You go out and Google up what did the Apostle Paul look like, and you'll get some very interesting responses back. But apparently he was not much of a physical specimen. Apparently he was battered and bloodied from stonings and beatings. And we can certainly imagine that as we read about his history and all that took place. Apparently he had some physical issue. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 7, he referred to it as a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was. Some people theorize, and there seems to be some evidence that he had a problem with his eyesight. He may have been very, very, uh, may have had very poor eyesight, and there's other theories that have been put forth as to what that was, but he had some sort of physical encumbrance, and perhaps all of those physical things together is why he would say, when I came to you, I was weak. Maybe. I don't know, but for some reason he came to them feeling weak. We also know from our readings in Acts chapter 17 and 18, where we read the history of when he came to Corinth, we know that he came to Corinth directly from Athens. And we know that his time in Athens didn't seem to have a very good time there. Matter of fact, when we studied Acts, we, uh, we were reminded of the fact that when he was in Athens, he tried a new tactic. He tried to raise himself up to speak at the level of philosophical thought of the Athenians. He tried to compete with them. He tried to debate them. And uh, he didn't see much fruit there. And, and as we studied that, we, we came away convinced that, that at least some people believe that the Apostle Paul may have left Athens feeling like he had failed. He may have left Athens feeling like he had blown an opportunity. And now he comes into Corinth, which is another city very similar. Same kind of intelligentsia, the same kind of uh, elitism and uh, that he would have had to face there. And so maybe he came in thinking, oh my goodness, I blew it the last time around, what am I going to do here? I don't know. Uh, it's possible, that's why he came in trembling and fearful. But for some reason he came in feeling like he, uh, he didn't have much to offer. He came in right off the bat saying he didn't have much in the way of persuasive skill. And so here's the Apostle Paul, he doesn't come into town flaming success in, a way, in his wake behind him. He doesn't come into town uh, with some glowing record of recent accomplishment. He's actually just kind of fallen on his face. And he comes limping into town, telling everybody, uh, I'm weak, I'm fearful, I'm trembling, and I'm lacking in the very skills necessary in order to reach you with the gospel. Not much of a resume, is it? Can you imagine if you went to a job interview, and you walked in, and you, the, the boss said to you, now can you do this? And you said, nope. 
I actually said in an interview like this one time, I had a guy who came to Hiram and, and uh, was interviewing uh, for a particular position there, and we had a team interview, and we asked him all kinds of questions, of which we had published. This is the job. Can you do this? Nope. Can you do this? Nope. Do you have this skill? Nope. Do you have this? And we were just looking at him like, oh, okay. But could you imagine doing that? I, uh, can, can, can you do this? No. Uh, do you have persuasive skills? No. All of the things that you ought to be able to do, can you do them? No. Not only that, by the way, I'm kind of sickly. And I'll probably be taking a lot of time off. Not only that, I don't have much speaking ability and, uh, you know, I, and I don't have much self-confidence. I, I'm kind of fearful and trembling and I'll probably kind of like hide over here in the fetal position most of the time. Would you hire that person? That's kind of what the Apostle Paul was saying here. But I believe Paul was making a point in all of this, and here's the point. None of it mattered. None of that mattered. When he first went to Corinth, they were lost people. They were unsaved. They were unaware of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there was only one thing they needed. They didn't need any of that. There was only one thing they needed, and he mentions it in verse number 2. He said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ, and him crucified. They needed to know that the, there was a person named Jesus who had died for them. And that's all they needed to know. They needed to know the person and the work of the Savior. Nothing else was even germane. Now, it's possible this morning, I suppose, in a crowd of this size, that every single person here knows that. It's possible. It's possible that every single person here knows what it means when I talk about being saved, when I talk about being born again. It's possible that every single person here believes that they're a child of the king. If you were to die tonight in your sleep, it's possible that every single one of you is absolutely confident that you'd wake up in the presence of God. Hallelujah. That'd be wonderful. It is possible. It's also highly unlikely in a crowd of this size that that would be the case. It's more likely that in a crowd of this size, there's somebody here in the same state that the Corinthians were in when Paul first set foot in Corinth. And somebody here who needs to know just one thing and one thing only, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just flip over a few, chap- a few passages to the end of this book. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let me, note it. let me read something to you here. We'll just read the first few verses of chapter 15. <laughs> Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the Twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Verse number three there, did you notice what he said? I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. That's the way the King James renders that particular phrase. I mean, you might have a translation in your hand that renders it like this. I delivered to you as a matter of first importance. And that's what the gospel is. That's what the story of Jesus Christ is. The matter of first importance. Paul walks into the city of Corinth for the very first time. A bunch of unsaved people there. No persuasive skills are necessary. No eloquence of man. No gifts of man are necessary. What is necessary is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let's get that down as a matter of first importance. 
And so this morning, if you're here, and you are, like the Corinthians, uncertain of that, there's no other message you need to hear. There's no other uh, doctrine you need to understand. You need to understand Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You need to understand Jesus Christ died for you on the cross of Calvary. For you. And that if you'll but call upon Him, you'll be saved. It's a matter of first importance. Well, Paul said there's something here for the lost soul. He also said in verses 6 through 13 that there's something here for the maturing believer. For the maturing believer. A key phrase, I think, in unpacking this section is in verse number 6. However, Paul said, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. I think that those, those words in verse number six, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Now Paul is saying here, he's, a, he's agreeing with the Apollos crowd, I think here, the ones who wanted the deeper things. I think what he's saying here is you're right. Even though Christ and Him crucified is of first importance, it's not the end of the story. There is so much more to learn about the things of God than just the elementary truths of salvation. Paul Harvey used to say the rest of the story. And there is the rest of the story. And, and, and I think what he's saying here is, yeah, we talk about that too. There is more to the wisdom of God, he says here, than we can ever cram into our pea-sized brains. Look at how he describes it. This is a deep section. He says in verse number 8, the wisdom of God is something that has been hidden from the beginning of time, from eternity past. He says in verse number 9 that it is a wisdom no human could have seen or heard or imagined. In verse number 10, he said it is the deep things of God. And in verse number 16, it's the very mind of Christ. This is deep Impressive stuff that goes far beyond just the Jesus Christ and Him crucified, just the matter of salvation. He says, we talk about that. We talk about that. But in verse number 6, he said, but we talk about that only to a certain group, those who are mature. You see that there? Those who are mature. My daughter Amy is with us this morning. Now she's giving me the hairy eyeball. My son Joshua is with us this morning. Amy has grown up into a very fine woman who loves the Lord. She's an RN. She's struggling along through her master's degree. She's our minister of music. Josh has married a wonderful woman who's his godly wife. and uh, very proud of, of both of my kids and, and all that they've accomplished in their life. I suppose I should be like Phil and say, they're not perfect. Should I say that? <laughs> uh, nobody is. But I'm proud, nonetheless, of the way my kids have grown up. But imagine, would you, for a moment, if Amy and Josh were still wearing diapers. You got that in your mind? Can you imagine it? <laughs> imagine for a moment if they were still sucking on bottles of milk. Imagine for a moment if they could not, at this age, Articulate a simple sentence. Imagine if they just laid in the crib all day long and cooed. Would we be proud? No, nobody would be proud. We would, we would look at that and we'd say, wow, that's sad. It's, it's beautiful. It, it would be. But listen to me, believer in Jesus Christ. It is every bit as sad of an image when one who has been born again into the family of God has gone through 30 years of their walk with God and is still... Sucking on milk spiritually. We're supposed to be maturing. We're supposed to be growing up. 
Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14 says, Solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 1 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. We've been talking about those particular verses in our men's Bible study on Tuesday evenings. They make it clear, don't they, that we're supposed to be growing up in Christ. We're supposed to be maturing. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Perfect means mature. To a mature Man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Why has God put me in this pulpit? Why has God raised up Brother Phil now to be on our pastoral staff? Why has God raised up men like Jim and Ray and, and uh, who else teaches around here? Phil. I already mentioned to you. And other teachers. Why has God raised up people like that? It is because he is trying to get us to grow up. He is, he is trying to get us to be built up in the things of the faith. And so we all need to be growing, maturing. And I think what Paul is saying here is God has given us, and we do have that message. There is something here. There is plenty here if we are growing and mature enough to hear it. Well, the Corinthians were divided. We, we could look at other things, but I'm going to stop right there. The Corinthians were divided in what they wanted. Some of them were clamoring for that simple gospel. They liked the preaching of Paul. And I, I think that Paul's preaching was just the simple gospel. Christ and him crucified. And he said, it's here. We have that. I think some of them were clamoring for something deeper. And he said, if you're growing in Christ, it's here. It's here. We have that. I think Paul was saying that there is something for everybody in our message. For those who are lost, there is the simple and foundational truth of Jesus and him crucified. And for those who know Christ and are maturing in their faith, there is an inexhaustible pool of truth and wonder in the word of God. Well, there's a lot of things we could look at as we, as we consider chapter 2. As I said, it's, it's deep. But I want to just make two more statements to you. Well, I'll make three. Three more statements and we'll be done, kind of by way of application. The first statement I'm just going to mention and, and leave it alone because we're running out of time. But the first statement is this. We can't do it alone. We need the Holy Spirit. And I feel like I have to mention that one because if you're paying any attention, if you read this, you're all sitting there right now saying, how come he's not mentioning the Holy Spirit? It's all throughout here. Well, I'll leave that one for you to study on your own. It is all throughout there. And we can't do any of this without the Holy Spirit of God. None of us are saved without the Spirit of God. None of us can share these things without the Spirit of God, but I'll leave that one to you. We can't do it alone. But there are two applications. I do want to spend a moment on them, which I think you'll see flow out of what we just said. Here's the first application. We need to preach and teach and share the rest of the story sometimes. Our church does need to have something for everybody. That's why we strive to offer Bible teaching in so many different formats. And it's also why if you are a maturing believer or want to be a maturing believer, you need to take advantage of it. 
You need to take advantage of it. Oh, that we could get hold of all that God has for us in the Word of God. But you're not going to get it by just listening to me preach for 30 minutes. You wish it was 30 minutes, didn't you? 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. You've got to take advantage of all of the other things that God has raised up and provided that we might understand these things. Uh, Deep things. Amazing truths. Wonderful things. Christians, you need to read. Read, read, read. You need to attend Bible studies. And we have several new Bible studies starting up. You need to be faithful to every service. You need to find a Sunday school class. You need to immerse yourself in teaching. You need to dig deep. You need to fill your mind with all the truths that God has. We need the rest of the story sometimes. As it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We need that. But the other application, and I'll be done with this one, is this. We need to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified all the time. All the time. Deep things sometimes. Christ and him crucified all the time. You know, I'm convinced our church does need to have something for everybody. And I am convinced that that means we need to reach those who knew nothing about it. We need to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified constantly. Because there will always be those who need that message. There will always be those who have not gotten past that. I'm not as good at this as I should be, but I try in every message to somewhere mention. Even if we're talking about something completely different, I try to somewhere mention the fact of Jesus Christ and him crucified. He is in every word of the Bible. It's not that hard to bring it down to Jesus. I want to be sure that if somebody walks through that door, and sits in here and hears me one time on this earth that somewhere they heard about Jesus Christ and him crucified. I love the deep things. I love the other great and interesting things, and I love talking about them. But somewhere in there, I want to make sure Jesus Christ and him crucified. I know there are some who don't want to hear the gospel in every message. I know there are some who believe that they're beyond that, and I know that there are some who, who, who they, they, they consider themselves maturing Christians, and they just kind of zone out when that happens. But I would suggest such needs to mature a little more because we need it. The gospel needs to be there. When we progress toward the end of 1 Corinthians, again, we'll get to chapter 15 and we're going to see Paul reminding these Corinthians. He's going to say something that's convicting. It ought to convict you like it convicts me. He said, some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And we must never forget that. We must never forget that. Look around. Not everybody is in the family of God. Not everybody is saved. Not everybody has understood yet. And there are yet those who are looking at us with hopeful eyes and saying, maybe he can finally understand it, explain it in a way that I can understand. Jesus Christ and him crucified, and he always needs to be there. Sunday school teachers, you must include this in every lesson. Junior church workers, Every single lesson, somewhere, you must tell those little minds about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Teen leaders, every single opportunity, tell them about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Bible study leaders, tell it, tell it, tell it. It's the most important message we have. And you say, why every single time, preacher? Maybe, maybe just once every you know, couple months or something we'll reach out and touch that. Why every single time? And let me tell you why I think every single time. Because in every group, there's going to be somebody who needs to hear it. In every group. 
In any group, there might be those who are hearing it for the very first time. Sunday school teachers, what a privilege you have to talk to little tiny minds that have never heard it. And it's brand new to them. What a privilege. What a joy. Tell it. Take advantage of it. In any group, there might be those who have never heard it before. In any group, there might be those who have heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it, but never acted on it. And their mind is almost blocked from understanding it. But all they need to hear it again. I'm amazed at how many people I come into contact with who have no clear testimony of their, of their salvation and yet think they're perfectly safe. Think they're perfectly fine. Tell me how you came to know the Lord. Well, I've always been in church. Well, I've always thought I was saved. And when I hear something like that, you know what my thought is? They need to hear it again. They need to hear it again. Henry Thoreau was an author and a naturalist. You've probably heard of him. He was close to death. And when he was on his deathbed, he was, in, he was visited by a very pious aunt. And she said, Henry, have you made your peace with God? And Thoreau said, I don't know. I didn't know that we had ever quarreled. And in his answer, he revealed his profound spiritual ignorance. Too many people are like him. They are utterly unconscious of the fact that they have sinned against God and so have quarreled with him and are really lost and separated from God. Their first step in coming to Christ is to realize one is a sinner, a lost sinner. And Thoreau's answer revealed that he still was a lost man. He didn't know he was lost, and so he had never come to Christ to get saved. The testimony has to be like that of the hymn writer who said, I was once a sinner, but I came pardoned to receive from my Lord. It was freely given, and I found that he always kept his word. That's the testimony. I think the saddest case of all is this one. The person who has sat under the gospel so long and has never responded to it. And yet, they're in our churches. There may be some here like that this morning who have heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it, and yet it's never got in. How do we not continue to say it? How do we not continue to proclaim it? Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then, in any group, there is always the possibility that there may be those there who are hearing it for the very last time. You know, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we had a young man named Paul Mark sitting right here came with Maddie, our sister Maddie. She's here with us this morning. And most of you know the story. He came on that particular Sunday morning and sat here on the front row. Uh, missionary Jerry Harmon was preaching. None of us had much of a chance to talk to Paul. He got up and walked out during the invitation, but we didn't get much of a chance. But it was his last Sunday on earth because God took him home just a couple days later. He had one last shot to hear the gospel. We had one and only one chance to share it. How do we not know when someone walks into this place that it's not their last time, their last opportunity? God has thundered that reality to me. Every time I look, he sat right where you're sitting there, Brother Jim. Every time I look at that seat, God thunders that reality to me. When somebody walks into this place, it may be the last time that they'll have an opportunity to hear. How do we not share it? How do we not share it? Well, I think Paul's message to the Corinthians in this chapter was there is something for everybody in the message we preach. Stop dividing, stop bickering, and listen wherever you are in your journey for God. Whether you're lost and you need to be saved, whether you're saved and maturing and need the deep things of God, there is something in this book, something 
in our message for you.